So money doesn't create good or bad people. It just gives you access to different situations, doesn't it? Are you Christian yourself? Um, uh, I am. I am amazed at the universe, and I know the limit of my own understanding. Okay. And if I'm honest, I don't really know what the creator, the order, the universe is. Yeah. And um, I respect anyone's belief to have any god or religion that they choose. Mm. Who am I to say they're wrong? Um, I'm also not a hardcore, oh, well, it's all about the science either. Mm. Um, so I, I, was, I went to a school, you know, that was a Church of England school. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't really sell me on, you know. Yeah, the, they're quite lukewarm, aren't they? Well, well, this is it. And you're always forced to go to assembly and forced to sing the hymns and, and maybe not taught well enough. That being said, I had a brilliant religious studies teacher and I got an A star at religious studies oh, really? and he made it really interesting and fun. He loved chess and we would play chess and, and, and that's what you need, I think. I think you need someone really good to sell the content. Because you know at school, it could be great subject, terrible teacher yeah. and you don't want to do it. Yeah. And then you, know, you remember your, your, your best teachers. That's true. A lot relies on the teacher. Yeah. We have too many poor teachers. Yeah. But I used to be a teacher myself. Loved it. There's so many crap ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not paid well enough. It's not. And just like politics, if you want good people, you've got to pay good money. Right? Yes. Yeah, and the, the, the public sector doesn't pay well. No. <laughs> it doesn't. You know, the whole argument, our oh, nurses should be paid more. Yeah, they should. I believe they should. Yeah. It's the public sector that's paying them, though. And if I had people that were saviors in my company, they wouldn't be earning... 25, 30 grand, no. they'd be earning a lot more. Of course. But then where does the money come from? Yeah. That's the dilemma. You and I is oh, where yeah. all the money comes from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure you pay your taxes. Too much. Oh. Yeah. There isn't enough money to go around. Well, no. I mean, look at the national debt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's unsustainable. I was talking to Nigel. Nigel was on just a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about that and... Yeah, well, we're in some crazy vortex debt spiral at the moment. Yeah, well, the whole fiat system's collapsing, so yeah. they're, they're scrambling for an alternative. And we're going to end up with these central bank digital currencies, aren't we, that pretty much put us in a Chinese communist system of social credit. Uh, to me, that is Orwellian at best. Yeah. <laughs> that is scary. We live in Orwellian times. Yeah. Like 1984 yeah. is becoming real life. Yeah, we absolutely can't let that happen. I mean, so are you? Are you a freedom fighter? I love rage against the machine. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't like to label myself. If I'm going to label myself, I'm an entrepreneur okay. or a creator. Right. Um, I, I would say more and more I am becoming that because as things get more wrong and worse, if you don't stand up and speak out, it gets more wrong and worse. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the one thing I have to be cognizant of is you can't fight every battle. No. And so you have to pick what's important to you. And, you know, there's lots of things that are important to me. I've got children and gender identity is important. But I've, my wife can... So for, so for me, what's my area of specialism? Probably money. Right. I've written a lot of books on that. So, yeah, if, if, if I can help people become financially independent and as less under control by the the banks, the central banks, the fiat currency, 
the better. I, I think you probably would honestly see me in London doing this if they tried to lock us down again. I didn't go the first time, but I was probably close. I knew a lot of my friends did go. What would yeah. you say is the purpose of your podcast? Well, we have, it's called Disruptors. Yeah. And we, we like to have conversations with movers, shakers, game changers and change makers. Right. And we like a breadth of, so sometimes it's rock stars, Sometimes it's billionaires. Yeah, but to, to what end? Um, to find people who are disrupting and making things happen and progressing humanity and sure, but that's the what. shaking that's things the what, up. But not the why. Oh, what, why do we do this? Yeah. What else does one do when one has enough money to do what one wants to do? Okay. I mean, that's how it started. Honestly, it started because as an entrepreneur, a, a better way to grow your business without having to rely on Google, Facebook and YouTube ads and spend hundreds of thousands is to have a good social media presence. Yeah. That's how it starts. But of course, as it gets to a thousand episodes and you've got amazing relationships and you have these kind of conversations, yeah, yeah it, does be, it can become a force for good. Yeah. And I don't mind interviewing the people that others won't, so it can also become controversial. Like, I interviewed Andrew Tate, and it seems to have... Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I say to, they, um, so, yeah, what's, Harry, what's the why that we do this? Uh, I think we want to have great influence, and I want to change the way society views money. Okay. And, you know, why can't you be a good human of good faith and be rich? And what, whatever anyone might think about why that can't be the case, right. I'd like to challenge yeah. that belief. What, why can't you be wealthy and successful and give to your church and give to your charity mm. and, and be a good human? Because mm. it's almost like, well, if you're rich, you, you know, you're, you're basically Satan in human form. <laughs> and if you're broke, you're a good person, but you know, life isn't fair. And that rhetoric is not true. Right, right. It doesn't have to be true. I think in, temptation increases with the amount of wealth that you accumulate. But the, it is important to accumulate wealth so that you can distribute wealth. It's mm. important to make money so you can give to charity, so yes. you can help people. Yeah, it's how not, can you give from an empty not cup? to create, create wealth just to keep wealth. That's the problem. And the more wealth you get, the more temptation you are likely to succumb to. That's why people suspect rich people as being bad people, because mm. they're open to far more temptation. Because poor, poor people have fewer... Or fewer temptations because if you have fewer access to opportunities, right? Okay, can I challenge you on that? Yeah. Uh, you're probably more, I guess you're probably more likely to steal if you're poor than you're rich out of necessity. So if you don't have basic human needs covered with money and with inflation, you need quite a lot nowadays, could the temptation still be there even though you have less money for theft, for hustle, for gambling, etc.? Yeah, I suppose the different temptations. Because um, isn't temptation a human thing, not a monetary thing? Yes, but it is the so money doesn't create good or bad people. It just gives you access to different situations, doesn't it? And those, that's what I'm saying. Your your life opens up to far more situations the more money you accumulate. Therefore, you have to be very disciplined in yourself in order to avoid all those temptations. Mm. Yeah, I, I I can see that. Here's one for you. Um, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. Do you agree with that? 
I agree with everything the Bible says. Everything? Yeah. So you wouldn't ever question it? I'd question, but I wouldn't, uh, not to the point of contradicting. I'd question in terms of trying to gain further understanding. Yeah. I think what it's saying by the, the root of all evil being money is that our obsession with, with false gods and false idols, we, we, we are very um, susceptible to that. And we make a god of money because we think, how do we get a better life? Well, I need to earn more money. Of course, earning more money does enable you to live a better life, but it's not, the two are linked, but they're not the same thing. Money isn't a better life, as in money helps you become happier, but money doesn't make you happy, right? I'm sure you'd agree with that. Okay. Gaining money doesn't make you happy. Is that a statement or a question? Both. I am, I am a happier person with more wealth, right. and I have been broke. Right. So many people don't really have that I've been broke, I've been rich. Split test choice. Sure, sure. And you know, people say, oh, well, Rob, you're obsessed about money. You're always writing about it and talking about it. Here we are talking about it. And I say, I was much more obsessed about money when I had none. Yeah. yeah. Because I was in survival mode. Yeah. And I thought about money. I don't think about money now. I go and see a lovely Tom York exhibition. I'm a fan. I spend 44,000 pounds on a piece of art. I feel like, you know, so, oh, but that's heinous. Well, actually, I've just, Tom York's got 10,000 of that. Stanley's got 10,000 of that. The gallery owner's got 20,000 of that. Is that not... I have no, no problem with good art. Yeah. Uh, my and, and, and me spending that money is de distributing wealth to the creators absolutely, of the art. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's and there was, of course, there's VAT on top, which goes to the government. So sometimes when people say people accumulate a lot of money and they're rich, they don't understand how much rich people spend and create economy. They assume that rich people make a 10 billion and then hoard it. But that was, that, that was my point earlier, that accumulating wealth to distribute wealth is a good thing. Mm. Accumulating wealth in order to hold on to wealth is, is a route to, to hell. Wow. Okay, so I want to come back to, to that one because um, I've never heard it say like that. So let me ask you this. Um, I disagree with the sentence, the love of money is the root of all evil, okay. which by the why? way why? is, well, I'll tell you, I would also say, I imagine that part of the Bible is one of the most misquoted and out of context parts. Well, people always take the little verse and never of take course. the and they don't, context. Yeah, exactly. And they don't even take the love of, they just take money is the root yeah, of all yeah. evil, which, yeah. you know, it's a bit like a 15 second TikTok. Yeah. There's no context. So that is accepted. However, I don't believe the love of money is the root of all evil. I believe humanity is the root of all evil, and money is a tool that humanity has created. Money is a tool that we've created, yes. Yeah. But humanity but is, money has no consciousness. Humanity isn't the root of all evil. That's, that's a very dangerous uh, route to go well, down. Well, humanity is the root of all good as well, though. No, God is the root of all good. Ah! <laughs> the, the reason it says the love of money is the root of all evil is because... But isn't, the, isn't the two evil the root of all evil? The two greatest commandments we are given are to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our being, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the, essentially what the whole Bible is teaching. Yeah. Right? So we're supposed to direct ourselves up towards God first and then towards each other, and that, that creates a good society, objectively good. Okay. If we love something that's other than those two and put something before those, such as money, then everything else falls apart. Okay, so if we don't love God and our neighbour, and I guess by our neighbour I mean friends and family and fellow human beings. Just people. Yeah. So if we love other things other than people and God, yeah. that's the root. God first, people second, everything else comes after that. 
If you mess up that order, everything else falls apart. But can't you love life and everything in life and love God and love your neighbour? You can and these things, yeah, but there's yeah. a priority, there's a hierarchy there. Right. God first, people second, everything else. So did the, does the love of money as the root of all evil actually mean in context, making money your one true God yes. above everything else yes. is the root of all evil? Right, we'd call that idolatry. That's exactly right. what it is. Which is a different statement. Well, I think it's the same. I think that's what it's saying. I mean, I love money and I'm not the root of much evil at all. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I, do you know, I once ran over a pigeon and I felt guilt for so long. And I, I'll even stop and I'll avert a pigeon. I love money and I don't think I'm the root what, of all evil. What do you I think, love about it? I love, I think it's a very good invention made by man. I, I guess you think that the wheels are pretty good invention. Mm. I do. Yeah. And I think that money, I know it has its downsides, especially fiat currency. Mm. But actually money is a very effective tool. It's much easier than you and I trying to negotiate over you making me shoes and me sure. making you, me butchering you some meat. And but I can appreciate the utilitarian purpose of money without yes, loving it. That, okay. Okay. Right. So maybe our definition of love is different. Okay. Because by love, I don't mean I idolise it and make it my one true God. I actually think money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. Yes. Um, so I don't make money my God, um, but I love the freedom. And, you know, you said to me earlier, am I a freedom fighter? Which is a question I've never been asked. And I, I, it was a really good question. And if I have money, I'm able to give my time to causes that matter yeah, to me. Yeah. And I love the fact that I can do that. And I love the fact that I don't have to clock in and clock out. Mm. So I think what I love about money is it's a tool, like a wheel. I, lo I love that I can get in a car and drive 80 miles an hour and get from Peterborough. So I love the wheel for what it can do. It's the means and the ends. That's the, that's the problem with money. Money enables you to do other things, right? Enables you to live a good life, to feed your family, to, to give to charity, mm. to go where you want to go, to live how you want to live. That's fine. The problem is when it becomes, the, me the means becomes the end. When obtaining money becomes your entire life, that becomes your obsession, that's when you love money. Yeah. If you use money to do good things, that's fine. But if you love money and that's your whole purpose, that's the problem. There's a differentiation there. Yes. Yeah, and, and I would certainly agree with that. And context like that often gets missed. Here's something interesting. So Mother Teresa was obviously very famous for giving a lot of money away. But she also took a lot of donations from Robert Maxwell, who was deemed to be somewhat criminal. What are your thoughts on that paradox of money? Would you take money, take from, money illicit, from, bad people. from illicit causes in order to cleanse it to do good? Oh, I don't think that I would, but I, I don't think that I would judge people that do. Um, I personally think it's important to, to know where money comes from and to know who's, who's donating to you. But then it depends on the size, because if you're crowdfunding and you accept payments less than 500 pounds, you don't actually look into who these people are. So anyone could- it's too be, logistically impossible right, to do right. so. Yeah. But of course, if someone's giving you a large donation, you're gonna be suspicious and you're gonna to want to know that it's, it's from a good uh, reputable source and it's not blood money. Requests and, yeah, well, yeah conditions. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can, you can, you've gotta be careful of that. Yeah. But, if, but it is important to put it to good use as well. Yeah. So, are you someone that feels it's important to share the message of God and to try and encourage other people to believe the same thing as you? Yes, that's my whole purpose of being. To worship God and to, and to preach his good news. That we are all saved if we repent of our sins and acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. 
Right. And so you asked me, you know, if I believed in God. And it's not something I've ever really talked about. And I don't mind talking about anything. I just know that sometimes the mouth's a bit quicker than the brain. Yeah. Um, and I think the honest answer is, I don't know. Mm. So what conversation should we be having? Um, you know, let, let's say I'm a pretty good person. I do pretty good things in the world. I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm imperfect. Sure, we're all imperfect. So. Yeah, but you know, there's this whole universe out there. I mean, because space and time could be infinite, yeah. which blows my mind. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, the... I don't think space or time are infinite, but... They but they could, could be. be. Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go there then. How big is space and time if it's not infinite? I think it's very finite. We've got a, um, this whole, this realm that we live in, this, this world, big W world that we know is limited and it's for a time and a, and a season. And that time and season will come to an end and then we'll have a different experience, a different way of being. And I believe that that will be with God the Creator. Right, so humanity will end, is that what you mean? Yes, all, all things will end, except for the, the, the eternity of, of the heavenly kingdom. So right. this, this planetary system, this solar system, this, this universe that we live in right now will end. What, five billion years or something like that? Yeah. yeah, when the sun burns itself out into sure. a black hole. I mean, but that could happen tomorrow. True, might be who knows? Yeah. yeah, okay, so, yeah, all right. Maybe that isn't infinite, but it's a long time. Right. Bearing in mind, we might be here for 85 years. But all things are relative. So if, yeah. if our next experience is, is eternal life in Jesus Christ, just imagine that it is, this, this five billion years that we're talking of, of the world's experience, will be just a blip. If we live for eternity in the next life, five billion years in this, in this experience is nothing. Everything is relative. But, uh, very true. Um, and so do you think once we pass on from the human experience, we have eternal life? I do. Have you had proof of that? Yes. Please share. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, you just, can I just tell you, there is no judgment from my side about this. I just no, want sure. to have a, a fascinating conversation. I mean, shouldn't need to caveat it, but... No, 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 it's yeah. fine. And I always come from the place of, I assume I don't know. Right. Yeah. So, so God himself came to earth as a man, as God incarnate, as the person of Jesus Christ, to live a, a human life, fully human yet fully God, to die on the cross for us, and he resurrected on the third day to show us that he's conquered death and therefore we have access to eternal life in and through him. That is, that is all the proof I need. Okay, so the proof is the story of the Bible. Yes. As opposed to yes. with your own personal eyes. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, with humanity, humans are good storytellers, aren't they? Yeah. Could, could this just be a story? Well, I think it's the most um, accounted um, part of our history, of human history. I think it's uh, tested, well, it's been tested through science, it's been tested through time, it's been tested through history. I think it is good, right and true. Yeah. And, and say people who are atheist or, um, you know, you think of someone like Ricky Gervais or Richard Dawkins, who very much like to look at science. Yeah. You know, if they were sat there, what would you say to them? I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking at science. Science came through the Christian faith for the most part. And it's just, it's different perspectives. So it's, it's looking at the what or the why or the how of, of the universe, right? The faith gives us information about who we are as a people. And science helps us explore how the world works. But it doesn't tell us why. And that's what the faith is. Right, so the science is the what and the faith is the why. Sure. 
And that's why when you asked about my show, you were digging for the why. Yeah, because there's we always there's an intention behind everything, right? And yeah, uh, and you, you obviously you, you call yourself a disruptor. You like to have disruptive conversations. That's fine. But I want to know, but why? What's the purpose of those conversations? What are you trying to do? Because everyone's trying to do something. Everyone has an agenda. Like, are you trying to show people that they can be better people? Are you trying to expose different arguments and left and right or, or libertarian and, and authoritative or? If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. whatever like scale you're on, what is your purpose of, of what you're doing? And we all have a purpose. Yeah, maybe I don't think about that enough. Certainly, the conversations around money mm. and what money really is, um, I just don't think people understand it. I, I, th I don't think money is taught very well, what, what money really means and what money really is. Yeah. You know, when, for example, you said oh, people are, accumulate loads of money and they do this yeah. that's just hoarding yeah and money doesn't flow when you hoard and no. if everyone hoarded and saved and didn't spend the economy would dry up in no time at all yeah. now poor people can hoard and rich people can hoard yeah poor yeah. people can be good and rich people can be good yeah. um and, and money is is simply an effective but tool for leverage the bible teaches that it's so easier for a poor person to go to heaven than for a rich person to go it to does heaven. i like I don't agree. So if the Bible says it's easier for a poor person to go to heaven than a rich person, it's assuming that a poor person is better than a rich person. No, it's not assuming that. It's or, or has better morals and ethics? No, it's just assuming that the more money you get, the more likely you are to sin, the more open to temptation you are, because your life is different. But is, is that not too black and white? So for example, I imagine if you had no money, you would sin a lot. I imagine if you had a billion, you could sin a lot. I imagine if you had 70 grand, you might not sin too much. I imagine if, if you had 10 million, you might sin a bit more. I, I don't know. I think it's about our priorities in life. So if your priority in life is, is your family, is God in the reverse order, uh, then you're good. The, but you can be that and to, you can be that and rich. It's easier to be that when you're in the lower classes than it is when you're in the upper classes. Yeah, I fundamentally disagree with that. <laughs> uh, and that, by the way, that's okay. But the, the, um, the more simple your life, the more easy it is to appreciate the simplicity of life, surely. Yeah, but having a lot of money doesn't necessarily make your life more complicated. It just, has, it just moves well, it problems. Means you're not living a simple life, right? it mean, well, No, it means you Generally have different speaking. problems. I mean, it's much more simple for us to travel with the money that we have. Because yeah. if, even if I couldn't afford 
But that even doesn't... to to get a push bike, I'd have to walk here. Sure, but that's not living a simple life. That's exploring the world. That's traveling around. When I say a simple life, I mean you know with your with your husband and wife, with your children, at home in a community, going to church, taking your kids to school, going to work. That's a simple life that most ordinary, most human beings have lived for the last millennia or two, right? Why do why do we have to live a simple life? Why can't we? I'm not we saying live? we have to. I'm saying it's easier to live a simple life if you are if if you are from simple means. It's more difficult to live a simple life if you have more means. But what if the goal is to live an abundant life, to see the world, to travel, to donate, to give, to? Well, these are fun things, but I don't think that is the goal. What's the goal? To love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and yeah. to love your neighbour as yourself. Right. So if someone has different goals, what does that mean well, about them? Well, it just means they're centering their lives on different things. Yes. Yeah. So it's not a sin not... not to have those goals. Because I don't want to live a simple life, what... Kelvin. I want to live an exuberant, okay, expressive, that's... Now we're getting something. exciting Why? Why? life. Because I might only have one and it might only last 85 years. Right, there we go. So why would I want to live a simple one? Right, there we go. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have eight cars. So you... uh, it's not simple to run eight cars. So you're already operating from a different uh, assumption that you've, already got, you've got this finite amount of time and you've got to do as much as possible in this finite amount of time. I'm operating from a completely different perspective in that we have, in, we have eternity. And our goal right now is to be shaped in, in, in Christ, is to, to be centered in Christ, as in to be objectively good and to strive towards holiness and, and sainthood. But and, is there any such thing as objectivity? Yes, absolutely. So that means there is only one there is fact. A, there is a universal truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe the law of gravity is a universal truth. There are many universal truths, but, but they're I all mean, centred it, on one person. But if there are a hundred religions, for yeah. example, that worship a hundred different manifestations of God, how can, which one's true? There's only one true God. Which one? Your one? Not my God, I don't own him, but he, he, has, <laughs> yeah. he has revealed himself to us. So if there's only one true God, does that mean that your one religion is the one true one, and the 99 others are not the one true one. So, God didn't come to earth to create a religion. He came to give us faith. He came to give us a way of life, to a way to live. We as people have created religion, and that's because we're fallen and we have to do certain things in a certain order. That's just how we are as, as fallen beings. But What does fallen mean? Um, Flawed, broken, imperfect. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm. I mean, is that not the way we're meant to be? No, not at all. But that is the way we are. Yeah. That's another reason he came down to us in order to, to offer us salvation, to, to fix us, to fix the situation, this fallen, disordered world that we've created for ourselves. Right, and so is the solution, the worship of the God, the love thy neighbour, and then maybe following the Ten Commandments, for example? Well, following the whole law, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why doesn't but everyone, even that... If that's the obvious salvation, why isn't everyone doing it? Because... We don't always do what's right for us or what's good for us, do we? No, <laughs> that's very true. Right. Even when we know what's good for us, quite often we do the opposite. And sometimes we hate ourselves for it, sometimes we don't care. But this is the human nature, this is yeah. the fallen nature. But if, if God, does God love us for who we are? God loves us. But not for who we are? For who we can be, for our right. potential. But God, not for God who we are. God wants the best for us. Like, a, right, you're a father, right? Yes. You love your children. Yes. You don't always love them how they are. But, no. <laughs> but you love them and you yes. want the best for them. Right. Think of God as the Father, right? Yeah. He loves us. He says, you know, this is in your best interest. Do this, please. But if you don't do it, he still loves you, but he knows you're not, you're not reaching your potential. 
Right. So he loves us unconditionally. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he accepts us as we are. He wants us to be better. Yeah. Hmm. So what I've seen recently, which I'd never really seen before, and it doesn't mean it didn't happen, I just didn't see it. I'm seeing quite a lot of prominent people convert to Islam mm. from Christianity. Really? Um, do, do, what's going on with this? It's sad. It's really sad. It's because Christianity has become so lukewarm. Uh, the Christian faith leaders have become, well just worldly leaders, just going along with the current trends of the time and right. not sticking firm to the faith. And people look around and they want something different to what's going on in the world around them because it's decrepit. Right. And actually they look at Islam and say, well, there's strength there because these people are sticking to their principles. And that's why they're being attracted towards Islam. So you think this is a problem of the, the Christian leaders not representing the faith well yes, enough? Absolutely, 100%. And it doesn't matter which denomination you look at, they're all doing the same thing. So you think religions are being disrupted? You could say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Christian faith is very simple. You know, I've, I've described it here several times, but people are overcomplicating it or trying to dumb it down for, for a modern audience. It doesn't need to be dumbed down. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated. It is what it is. And we've been given an instruction guide to follow. And people don't even want to follow that anymore. Oh, well, that was for a time. That was, you know, in a historic context. We've got to look at where we are today. We've made progress since then. And this whole assumption comes from the premise that we are better than our forebears, but also that we are better or no better than God. And that's obviously not true. Mm. Right. And so what needs to change Just about Christianity to you know, deliver the message in the way you think it should be delivered. So just go back to the simple truth of the faith, that we need to repent of our sins, first and foremost. We need to be baptised in, in water and the Holy Spirit. We need to have faith in Jesus Christ as our one Lord and Saviour. That's it. Very simple. But people don't even want to repent of their sins anymore. People say, oh, you know, come as you are, you are accepted, God loves you as you are, and all of that stuff, and affirming people in their sins. And that's harmful for those people. That's harmful for their souls. And what we're doing, or I say we, what the church is doing is leading people to hell. Mm. When it should be leading them to heaven. Right. And, and this notion of faith. So as an entrepreneur, I have, let's say I've made something of my life. Mm. I've done all right. Mm. I haven't done that through faith. I've done that through hustle. Yeah, yeah. And work and yeah. graft and commitment and yeah. sacrifice and failure. And so I have this sort of paradox where... I can understand why faith is important because once when you question things, you have a north star. Yeah. But blind faith maybe doesn't make a successful, productive human. I know that's subjective, not objective. Yeah. What, you're, it, what does it mean to be subject to su exact, be successful or exactly productive? Um, exactly. So, um, what's your thought on the? the juxtaposition of blind faith versus going and making things happen for your life? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can make things happen for your life, for your family and for the good of the community and for the greater good of, for the glory of God. Um, it's all about the purpose. So again, why are you doing these things? It all, that matters. You know, I've been an entrepreneur. I've made money. I've lost money. I've made money. It's, it's very similar to me in, in the way that people like social media. It's that that hit, that mm -hmm. dopamine, that yeah. it's, it's very short term and it's very uh, superficial. And I, I personally didn't find 
contentment in it. I didn't, I didn't feel fulfilled when I was an entrepreneur. I, I, I had fun, I enjoyed it, but that's very different to being fulfilled and content. And I think faith provides that contentedness. Faith provides that ful fulfilledness. And it's a different level, it's a different depth, because it's not that surface level bubble that has to be constantly chased, like social media, like getting your likes, your retweets, or your followers, mm -hmm. or like getting the latest. But isn't that the human progress, hit. which is the continual struggle towards more, no, better? No, it's, it's, that's, if anything, that's devolution, not evolution. That's, that's, it's uh, going down to, a, a, as, as a machine level, uh, we're higher beings than that. We're better than that. Right. So you think sometimes our pursuit of more, which seems to be what we chase, isn't evolution, it's de-evolution. Yeah, it's an empty pursuit. This is why I have... But what if it's for something very meaningful? But like what? Well, like the saving the planet, getting on the moon. But it's evolve, our duty to evolving. save the planet. So, that's, that's, okay. I think that's quite narcissistic of us. Well, well I, I, I agree with that in that what I agree with is I think Human, humans are arrogant in that they think they know better than nature yeah, yeah. and they manipulate in yeah. nature thinking that they're making the world better yeah. when in fact they're getting in the way of nature. Right. For so, example, the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. I don't take any pills because I'm pretty sure that my body was built to be able to handle things. Right. And if I have a headache, it's my body saying, you didn't sleep enough or you drunk too much coffee. And if I don't get the headache, I don't get the feedback. Yeah. And so all the pills, sorry to go on a tangent, but I need no, no. to do this. The biggest company in Europe now is a, is a drugs company pushing weight loss drugs. Yeah. And Rishi Sunak, the prime minister of our country, yeah. championed the greatness of this weight loss drug. To me, that is everything that is arrogant yeah, and, and wrong it's with humanity. Yeah. Because why can't we just teach people to go for walks yeah. and eat well? Eat less, exercise more. It's very simple. There you go. That's all you need. Have a meaningful mission. Yeah. Have a purpose in yeah. life. So and, and so we're ridiculously arrogant. Yeah, we are. But I would, I would articulate that di differently. So there's two parts that you said about the world and about pharmaceuticals. About the world, we make gods of ourselves. We are idolaters. Right? We, we think that we are the gods of this world and we have to save this world, we have to make this world better. Actually, the world is here for us. The Bible teaches that the world is a resource for us to use, just like all animals are here for us. You know, this is why vegans are ridiculous, because the, you know, animals are there for us to eat and plants are there for us to eat. And they're all there for the good of, of humankind. And on, so is veganism a sin then? No, it's not a sin, it's just ridiculous. Right. Absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's very extremist as well, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I, I can kind of understand people who want to be vegetarians. I think they're misguided. But people who want to be vegan is just taking it to the absolute extreme. How did we get to this point in society then? Where... Well, because because we are constantly seeing ourselves as gods. And, and the pharmaceutical industry is a great example. And again, that's for people that love money. And I mean literally love money. Moderna, Pfizer, these companies have made billions and billions of pounds over the last three years because of the whole COVID scam, right? If you, if you live in a world where in an emergency, governments get more power and pharmaceutical companies earn more money, we're gonna constantly be in situations of emergency, constantly. And this is what we're seeing because governments always want more power, big, big business always wants more money. So we have to, as individuals, 
readdress the situation and say, well, governments aren't there to, to rule us, they're there to represent us. Mm. And big business isn't good for, for mankind. Business is good, big business isn't good because they become too powerful and they become essentially governments. Both of those need to be held to account somehow. And we've lost all sense of that. You know, I think capitalism is the least worst situation to live in. Mm. However, it's, it's not great. It's not good. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because um, I don't think communism or socialism is any better. No. Um, so I would certainly agree that excessive government intervention and excessive big pharma and big corporate intervention is bad for yeah. the progress of humanity. And these people are probably telling a story that it's great for the progress of you know, the new miracle drug and this and that. Yeah. So why... Why have we lost control of ourselves? Why, why are we not keeping the government held to account? Why are we not resisting big pharma and big corporations? I think there's two answers to that. One of them is greed. In that we have... Because we, we, we want the iPhone, we need the well, product. Well, there's that, but also we've let the whole situation snowball. Like BlackRock pretty much owns the world at this point because they're invested in every single major Vanguard, company. Vanguard, yeah. BlackRock, Vanguard, these yeah. companies... They've invested to a point where they own the world. Therefore, they have more power than pretty much every single government in the world. And we've let that situation snowball because we've we've not really put restrictions on businesses because we've been like, well, the free market has become an idol itself. For like, well, we've put a lot of restrictions on small businesses. Indeed. And none because on the big few. Big businesses lobby governments in order to get restrictions in place that they can jump through the loops. So basically, monop create monopolies. Exactly. Yeah. Monopolies are evil. We need to avoid monopolies. And at, at the same time, we are sheep. As people, we are sheep. That's, that's, I mean, that's scriptural. So we need good leaders. And when we have bad leaders, we get led astray. And our governments have become power-thirsty, as people tend to be when they reach positions of power. And we haven't put restrictions in place on them either. So we, have, we haven't restricted business or our governments. And we've reached a point now where people don't want to think anymore. They want the government to handle all of their problems, to solve every, every situation. That's not what governments are for. Governments should be small. It should be get out of the way to let you live your life. It should protect the borders of the nation. It should provide some kind of self safety, safety net for people that fall through the, the cracks. I'm not suggesting we need a welfare state, but some kind of safety net. And it, it should be very, very basic to prevent monopolies. That's pretty much it. Everything else is up to us as communities, but we've lost a sense of community. So do you think we're moving closer towards some kind of revolution where in the end everyone wakes up to this and we've had enough. That's quite optimistic. I don't think we are, no. I think we're seeing the West fall and crumble and Western civilization is on the way out. I don't know what will come next, but I don't, think, I don't know well, if it's possible. Is that bad? Western civilization. Yeah, the empire comes to an end. Yeah, it's done. But it's it, done. Yeah, we take it for granted that we'll always have this way of life that we're living right now. Yeah. With our nice cars and our money and with our the way everything works. It's all on the way out. We've seen this, like, again, it comes down to people think that progress is linear and we're constantly getting mm. better and becoming better people and progressing, evolving. That's nonsense. Societies are circular. Like, they, they right. rise and they yeah. fall. Mm. Every single society has risen and fallen. So and could you say this is normal, then, what's happening? It is normal, but yeah. there are patterns that can be observed. Degeneracy, indecency. Why don't we learn from hyper Hypersexualization, all of this stuff. And what, what, These things you've just said there. Yeah. These are what we see when a society is falling apart. The, the, oh. the, um, so the manifestations of 
a part in the cycle of humanity. Child sacrifice. I don't know if it's a cycle of humanity, but it's a cycle of, of civilizations. Right. Uh, you know, this, we're seeing now what we saw in the fall of Rome. And we haven't learned this lesson. We never learn the lessons from history. We don't. No. Why? It's there. We've got the evidence we need. Why don't we learn? I don't know. I really don't know. You know, Jordan Peterson often talks about this situation of how do we learn from World War II. I don't know if you've seen this clip. No. It's fantastic because he says, you know, the lesson from World War II isn't the lesson we think it is. The lesson isn't that, oh, Nazis evil, blah, blah, blah. Of course, no. Nazis were evil. The ideology was evil. But the people were just people, normal people. And we always think we'd be the one in the crowd standing like this when everyone else is doing the Heil Hitler. But of course, statistically, we'd be doing the Heil Hitler along with everyone else. That's the lesson we take, should take from World War II that we would be going along with everyone else. Some people would be enjoying it even. And that's the lesson that he tries to teach us. But this is biblical. I take it even further back. You know, we, we tend to think if Jesus Christ walked among us today, we would be bowing down at our knees. Oh, my Lord and Savior, thank you for coming to rescue us. Of course we wouldn't. We'd be saying, crucify him, crucify him, just as they did at the time. That is the lesson of history. But we're so narcissistic and egotistical that we think we're better. And how do we become less narcissistic and less egotistical? In humility, in learning, in realizing that we are decrepit and we are, you know, the same people that would be doing the Heil Hitler and the crucify him, crucify him. And then once we acknowledge that, we can learn to improve. Mm. But if we start from the position of, no, of course I'm better than those people who are doing that at that time, then, you know, that's pride. Mm. Mm. So, um, would you describe what's, what happened to you as being cancelled? Uh, which time? <laughs> the, the, the biggest time, or the most recent time? Yeah, 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 probably. probably. Could we talk about that? Of course. Thank you. <laughs> so, what happened and why do you uh, think you were cancelled? So, start with what happened. Okay, so I was um, in the Church of England. I was going through the discernment process to, to, towards holy orders, so I felt called to become a priest. And then there's a, a process you go through, and the church says, yes, we also feel you're called to priesthood. Um, and then I went to seminary, which is a, a theological training institution where you, you're trained and formed um, in priestly ministry, uh, paid for by the Church of England, by parishioners. They spent, what, 30 grand to send me to Oxford. And then at the end of that process, they... they um, played silly buggers and they essentially used time as a weapon and did not want to ordain me but not for, not for theological reasons not even for personal reasons but for political reasons because I am conservative in my faith and in my politics and I believe what the Bible teaches and so I, when can you just define your conservative in your faith what does that yeah, mean? Yes so that means I believe what the Bible teaches in terms of Marriages between one man and one woman, and um, only men are to become pastors. Um, and sex outside of marriage is fornication, which is a sin. And homosexual acts are sodomy, which is a sin. And these are all things that the Bible teaches that we cannot change. Uh, however, people want to ignore the Bible these days and embrace modernity, and I think that's harmful and dangerous. And one of the issues that came up was race as well. And the Church of England said, you know. We are institutionally racist, and I said, "That's hold on a minute." You know, they you, told you that. Yeah, yeah. I said that they are racist. Yeah, yeah. I said individuals can be racist, but when you say it's the institution that's racist, you take the responsibility away from the individual and put it on the institution. 
When an individual is racist, they need to be held to account because racism is bad. But if you're shifting the blame up to the institution, I, think, I don't think that's helpful. But also the church is Christ's body. You can't call Christ's body racist. That's very strange. That's a weird way of looking at things. Uh, and you know, they said to me, no, the church is racist. And I'm like, well, if the Archbishop of Canterbury, Archbishop of York, and the Bishop of London, the three most powerful inst um, influential people in the Church of England are upper middle class white people, and you three are the ones telling us that the church is institutionally racist, then surely you should just step down and let you know, an ethnic minority take your place. But of course, they never do that, do they? It's more that you will sing from our hymn sheet, hymn sheet, otherwise you are part of the problem. And I would not sing from that hymn, sh hymn sheet. Right. So I ended up leaving the Church of England because they, London pretty much refused to ordain me. I mean, they just, they don't say we will not ordain you. They just, you know, how these bureaucratic types are and these, they, they use the system and, and the, the process is the punishment. Um, so I ended up just leaving. I thought, you know, it's not just the race issue. It's not just the sexuality issue or the sex issue or the sin issue or the lack of biblical faith. All of it together made me realize that if I was to take my ministry up in the church, even if I got through these hurdles, every day would be a battle against things that aren't Christian. And actually I took my ministry somewhere else where I can just focus on preaching the gospel and not have to worry about going to inclusion, diversity and equality training or being, you know, just, just, just this week as we're recording, the Diocese of London have put out um, a Black Lives Matter critical race theory thing on their Instagram. What was it? Social justice for racism week or something. I just, I, like, they're just making this stuff up and it's all rooted in neo-Marxism and they don't see it. They've embraced Marxism, communism, as their ideology when we have a better one, which is the Christian faith. Wow. That's some story. Did, did that upset you? Uh, I don't know if it upset me. It wasn't pleasant. Um, but I think it saved me, actually. It's liberating because I was able to just, I have been able to just get on with my ministry. And that there's so much important work that needs to be done in this capital right now. It's a faithless city. And we need to evangelize, we need to help people and save people, lead them to Christ. And I, I don't think I would have been able to do that in the Church of England. You know, every day, every week, there's, some, there's a new story of the Church of England pronouncing some new wokeness. And they're putting people off, and it's, it's harmful. So you think the Church has become woke? The Church is woke, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Church of England is woke, yeah. not the Church. Yeah. The Church of England. And that, I mean... We, we take, that's another thing we take for granted. The Church of England is here and has been here for a few hundred years, nearly 500 years now. Well, you could say since, there always, has always been a church in England, yeah. even pre-Reformation. But that doesn't mean there will always be the Church of England. So do you think that's crumbling like Western yeah, society? Yeah. So maybe in a few hundred years there will be no such thing anymore? I mean, 15 to 20 years, I don't think there'll be Really? Yeah. The Church of England will be gone in 15 yeah. to 20 years? People are no longer going to Church of England churches. They have fewer priests now than they've ever had. They have fewer people in the congregations than they've ever had. Since the 1920s, it's been constantly downhill. And they're not even trying to turn it around. It's a managed decline at this point. They, they see that it's dying out, and they just want to leave behind a good impression. They don't want to turn it around. This is making me feel like this show, Disruptors, definitely has a big mission if you think the world is changing this much. Because... You know, this is a fundamentally seismic shift in the culture of this nation. Yeah. This is huge. Yeah. Like, this is why Western society is crumbling, because it was built on Christianity. We used to call it Christendom before we called it Western civilization. 
And once you take Christianity out of it, you take the foundation. And if you build a house and then remove the foundation, the whole thing will eventually fall down. Mm. That's what we're seeing. We can't have one without the other. You have to have a set of principles, a set of values, a foundation. And we, we seem to think as a liberal progressive society that all values are equal, all ideas are equal, all cultures are equal. Of course, that's a nonsense. But, it, but we're saying that there's a neutrality now. We don't need values and principles. We can just, everyone's welcome, everything's welcome, every idea is welcome. And okay, let's see how far that takes us. Mm. Okay. So um, some, something I wasn't going to talk about, because it's not really my wheelhouse, but I just want to ask you it now that you're here. Um, let's say there is someone and you know, they're absolutely inherently, internally convinced in every cell in their body that they're a homosexual. How would, how would you perceive that person knowing that God loves everyone, yeah. but that that is a sin? I mean, it's, it's quite simple. So it's, first of all, you have to separate the sin from the sinner. So we are all sinners and we all sin in different ways. So it's not about saying, I'm good, you're bad which a lot of people pr presume that's what Christianity is about, being judgmental, it's, it's not. It's recognizing we're all sinners. It's about saying, I am a sinner, actually. But secondly, it's about realizing that, yes, some people are same-sex attracted, and we all have different battles to overcome in our lives. But as a Christian, we wouldn't say someone is gay or someone is homosexual. We'd say that person is same-sex attracted, and that's a battle that they're going to have to overcome. Um, because some people are caught to marriage. Some people aren't. But celibacy is a very, very good thing just as good, if not, Why more, is if not more good, good than marriage. Because it sets us apart, and it means that we can direct our, our whole lives towards God. Some people direct their lives towards God, and then towards their family. Some people just towards God. That's, that's a holy, holy thing. Right. I know many same-sex attractive people that live very good Christian lives, live a life of celibacy, directed to, towards God. They live their life in Christ, and there's nothing more holy than that. Is that not on a human level, absolute torture. Well, a lot of our, a lot of our existence is torture. Yeah, absolutely. so you think this is part of the mission, is it, to endure the torture? There's no holiness without sacrifice. There's no goodness without suffering. These things are important. And we live in a time where no one wants to suffer. No, Everyone wants to live a life free of suffering. This is very suffering. true. They want to work from home and walk the dog. Yeah. They won't even do a day's work. People don't have any resilience. You see people on TikTok crying because they've you know, had to work an eight-hour shift in Starbucks. You're like, you entitled little prat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. People are dying in Africa. Yes. Like, I mean, that's another cliche thing to say, but people are literally no, but dying. No, people have it much worse yeah. and yet handle much harder situations better. Is that the fault of the individual or is that just the, a reflection of the part of society? Where both, both. The Christian faith teaches that Christ is with us in our suffering and actually right. our suffering is to help. So we have to take personal responsibility. Shape us, yes. Yeah. We've lost personal responsibility. It's another thing that came from the Christian faith in this society. And without, again, take the faith away, take the principles and the values away, you just leave holes everywhere. Like what are those holes going to be filled with? Yeah. Yeah, vacuous entertainment and distraction. Absolutely. This and is why TikTok is so evil. It's right. culturally subversive because it's just filling you with bam, 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 constantly sexualization, you know, the whole idea of the, the trans thing is pushed very hard on there as well, that you're in the wrong body and all this stuff. It just pushes lies and falsehoods and degeneracy at you constantly. And it's giving you those dopamine hits and getting you addicted, whilst also tipping our whole culture upside down.
And the Chinese are sat there like, <laughs> just laughing their heads off at us because, of course, they don't have. So, do you think this is uh, like the Matrix, a distraction in order to keep us distracted to consume from us? It's, I think it's cultural subversion. I think what is that? Enemy states or well, I mean, look at the Chinese version of TikTok, which is wholesome. It's got time limits, so you can't just constantly get those dopamine hits. The content rules are very, very strict in that it's about DIY or family values or you know things that we used to appreciate in this country. They don't have the, the half-naked girls doing the stupid NPC poses. They don't have uh, blue-haired individuals yelling at people about changing their gender. They don't have any of that that we have. They, they've literally, they pushed, it TikTok yeah, they've literally pushed it out here to the West right. to disrupt our way of life and to break down our values. So, so it's basically being used as a weapon against the West by China. It's a massive weapon. And we're embracing it. We're lapping it up. We're like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, got, look how many likes I've got today. It's so sad. Yeah. Wow. And how do we change that? Well, I mean, Trump's approach was to ban TikTok. Because also, not only is it cultural subversion, it's also a spy tool. As in, the mm. Chinese government take our data. They know where we are. I mean, we've, we, there have been inst instances of them knowing where Secret Service agents are and stuff like that. That's very dangerous. Yeah. Um, so he went down the route of, like, maybe we need to ban it. Uh, but as a, as a liberal progressive society, suggesting to ban something is very difficult because we, we just often a go-to approach by the government. Yeah, ban fast food, ban Coca-Cola, ban this and that. And that's not always the right approach. But sometimes, perhaps it is. And I think with TikTok... So do you think TikTok should be banned? I, I do. But I think parents... Or could so it just be controlled and regulated in a better way? Parents should be the ones to ban it. Parents should say to their kids, no, you're not going on TikTok. You don't need social media. Children should not be on social media. No one under the 18, age of 18 should be on it. If you're an adult, make your own mind up, great. But as a kid, you don't need to be on there. Mm. So here's the paradox of social media. We were talking about media earlier. and you know, I feel that a, a centralised media is essentially government propaganda, and I think that's not good for society. Yeah. So in some ways, the decentralised social media that we've got, all these different plethora of channels, can represent the people a little bit more, more fairly. Be careful with that. Don't put your faith in that. You know, we saw Facebook and Twitter censoring people over COVID. Well, the problem is they got so big, they became right. the new mainstream media. Yeah. So that's why you need the constant decentralization. But where is that now? People have got a lot of faith like in Rumble, Getter, you know, there's always new platforms. Getter's an awful platform. I won't, get, I won't go into them because they're terrible. But Rumble's doing okay. But we used to say the same thing about DuckDuckGo, and then they started manipulating people too. Yes. Like we just can't put our faith in these things. You know the best social network? The pub and the church. Why do you think they tried to close pubs and churches throughout lockdowns? To stop people, oh, I'm going to guess, to stop people socialising. Well, yeah, this is, if there ever was a revolution, this is where it would begin. This is where yeah. people meet each other are in a truly diverse setting of, you know, you're old, young, you're white, you're black, you're whatever, it doesn't matter, you're men, you're women. This is where we used to associate with each other and they took that away from us for a reason. They took away freedom of assembly for a reason. Because they can control the narrative on the BBC or Sly News. They can control the narrative on Twitter and Facebook, as they've showed us. They cannot control what we say down the pub or in the church. Yeah, wow. How do we navigate this situation? Because um, I was interviewing someone yesterday who's got a big following, and, and we were talking about money. And any time it got a little bit rabbit hole-esque, shall we say, he was like, oh, no, this is as far as I'll go because it, it's depressing. And, you know, I, I, I want to maintain good emotion and I want to be productive and I want to be able to control what I can control and I can't control all of that. How far do we push 
until it makes us suffer personally? I don't think we can be afraid of suffering. Uh, we've got to stand up for what's good and what's right. And I think it's very dangerous to say, I, I don't want to get into that negative space or leave that alone, because that leaves it to the people who aren't working on our best interests. It leaves right. it to the... So if everyone did that, nothing would change yeah. and they would be able to get away with doing whatever they want. Which they do. And what if we fear persecution or worse? Well, we'll the Bible teaches that if we're persecuted, we would be blessed because of it. So I mean... We, as Christians, we step out in persecution all the time because we expect it. And I don't think people in the secular world do. So that's something that, that people are missing out on. Mm. So I, I could sit here all day with you, Calvin. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this. Yeah, that's good um, But I'm aware that you have a 12 o'clock. Mm. How, how far is it away you're next? Well, I'll do it online, but I can probably do it on the way. Oh, okay, fine. I've um, got to plan my show for the weekend. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll borrow as much time as I can, but not put you in jeopardy. Okay, so Jordan Peterson, I've got a quote here from him. Jordan Peterson doesn't believe in God, apparently, but says, religion is important to contemplate the purpose of ethics in life, and it's a catastrophe that modern society has lost its faith in religion. What's your thoughts on that? I love, I love Jordan Peterson as a brother. I think he's a good man. I've, I've met him many times. Great, great person. His wife and his daughter are Christians, which is great to see. I think he probably will end up being a Christian. Why yeah. is he not right now? Um, I don't know if he is. I don't know if he is, um, but I would say people like Jordan Peterson, the problem they have is their intellect gets in the way, right? And I think, I'm not talking about him in particular, but people, generally speaking, uh, with, a, with a very high intellect that want to, you know, they live in an academic sphere and they want to intellectualize everything and, and reason everything away, reason everything out, can sometimes be susceptible of making an idol of their intellect in that it get. They're making a god of their intellect, and that gets in the way of the one true god. Um, and sometimes you've got to let go. You've got to you take that, that leap forward in faith and get rid of that last final hurdle, that last final barrier. Uh, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Sometimes you can see that God is good. Sometimes you can see that the Bible is true, but just knowing those things is different to having faith in them. Mm. Is it enough to live with a good set of values that might be fairly similar to, say, the Ten Commandments without believing that there's one true, one true God? No. It's not enough? No. Because not what, for anyone? No, because what is a good set of values? Who defines what is good, if not God? It's arbitrary, isn't it? You know, the, the people in, in the Middle East who th think it's good to throw a homosexual off a roof who are we to tell them otherwise, unless we have a, a very objective version of what is good and what is evil? I take that from the Bible. I take that from the Word of God. If we don't, where do we get it from? You know, people often say, oh, I know what's good about it. I have a good moral compass. And in the West, it's like, well, where do you think you get that from? You get that from the Christian faith, because that's the faith that we've always had in the West. That's where our values have evolved from, and we've adopted them into society, into our laws, into our way of life. It's very, you can't divorce them and kind of assume that you've created them in your head because they're not universal. People all around the world have different values. And I think our values are objectively good and objectively therefore better than other values. Mm. Is the church a for-profit organisation? No. It's a charitable organisation. Right. So it's not for-profit and no, no one or body or institution in it makes profit? 
Because there must be excess over expenses. It's not for profit. But it, I mean, if the church earns money, the church is supposed to kind of uh, disseminate that money. That, that money is supposed to go to good causes. If you look at it throughout history, we wouldn't have any universities, we wouldn't have any schools, we wouldn't have any hospitals if it wasn't for the church. The church well, started. Many billionaires built quite no, a few. No, no, the church started all of them. The church started all of them. Many billionaires since have become patrons of these things. But the church is what is what started the idea of this is what this is what charity means. This is what goodness is. This is what love means. Love and charity are synonymous in the Christian faith. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that then. If they were behind building the the school system, for example, do you think the school system is good? Right now? Yeah. No, it's 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 uh, fallen away like everything else. Um, you, you talked earlier about, you know, you used to have assemblies where you had, you had the hymns. You used the word forced, which was interesting, but you had to sing the hymns and you had to say the Lord's Prayer, as we all did back in the day. They don't even do that anymore, so people don't have an understanding of that, you know, that you learn things through osmosis. You learn, things, you learn theology through the hymns, and learning the Lord's Prayer is important just for cultural capital, if not for your relationship with God. But taking these things away means that people have been divorced from the Christian faith. I can actually now, and I've never thought about this in my whole life, but I have just now, I think I can explain exactly why I didn't like the religious element of school. Because yeah. no one told me why. Because mm. you've been here talking a lot about why. Yeah. why. I never got asked why. I, know, I never got given a choice. Yeah. I was never guided through, this is why we do assembly, this is why we sing hymns, yeah. this is why this could be a good thing for you. That's sad. Yeah, I was just sent to the school. And I'm not necessarily criticising the school. My parents put me through apparently good schools. Yeah. But never once, not by a teacher, not by... That's not helpful. And the, the answer to that situation has been that they've just removed all of that entirely. And that's not helpful either. The, the good solution is to teach that stuff, to have that stuff, but explain why. Right? When you teach anything, you should be explaining why. Well, people want to know why, don't yeah. they? Like if you're children, you can tell them to do something they won't do it if they know why they're supposed to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So um, we're going to do a quick fire round. Okay. Um, so we've got maybe eight questions. And okay. if you just take as short as you might need if you think you've got to be gone. So how many genders are there? Two, male and female. That's... Why is that a question? <laughs> Well, that's sexes, isn't it? Is it? To, towards what? I mean, biologically, there are two sexes. So what's a gender, then? Well, apparently, a gender is a, an individual perception of how someone sees their own sexuality. That's very strange. Why has sexuality become so important? Why has it become a defining factor of a person? It's very odd to me. Isn't our sexuality part of the defining of who we are? No. It's just, it's, it's... Well, but, I mean, if you took my testosterone away... Yeah which is part of my sexuality, my male sexuality, you would fundamentally change who I am. Fundamentally. So at every level. all human beings have um, an element of animus and anima. We have an element of masculinity and femininity. Now, in men, masculinity should override femininity. In women, femininity should override masculinity. Yeah. If, that, if there's an imbalance there, that's an issue that they need to be addressing either spiritually or perhaps even medically. There's a, there's Phys physiologically, yes, physically. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it, well, and that, I think that explains, does it, why some females seem more masculine and some males seem more sure. feminine. But, but you know, I, I, I know I have testosterone. Yeah. And I know it... it but if, you know you also have an X and Y chromosome. 
Yes. Whereas a woman would have two X chromosomes. Yes. Well, I know I've been taught that by society. There's a lot of things in society <laughs> I've been taught that aren't necessarily true. But it goes to the fundamental level of, of every chromosome in your body, right? Is, is, is it built into So I think this is the difference I'm talking about between sexuality and biology. But you said, why is... It's all, it's all linked, isn't it? So when you're born, you're born either a boy or a girl. You're born either with the sex of male yes. or female. And, that, that and why is that even important? Because if you... Well, it is important. Because yeah. this, is, this is one thing. So the whole liberal movement has said, no, men and women are the same. We're equal. We're not the same. No. We're not equal. No. We're equal in dignity and worth, but we're very different in lots of ways. Men are more athletic, stronger, faster. Women are more maternal, nurturing. Empathetic. E- empathetic yeah. and emotionally intelligent. Yes. We are different. I agree with this. Right. Why can't we talk about this without getting berated Because the feminists and think that in order for women to become equal, they have to become like men. And, for, and men have to become more like women. And that's not helpful for society. No. Men are the providers and protectors. Women are the nurturers. And that's a good thing. And why has that become... Why, why do we risk being cancelled just saying what you said? Because they're against normal, natural human life. They're against Christian, the Christian faith, which teaches us that, right. that, that men, are, men are the providers, protectors, and women are the nurturers that, because that, that teach our children. And in order to right. attack God, the Christian God, and remove Christianity from our society, they attack the family, they attack the patriarchy, and they attack the faith. Because if we're all equal, shouldn't we have equal men and women on the front line, equal men and women putting out fires, equal men right. and women and I don't want that. I don't want, buildings? No. I don't want women to be dustbin men. I don't want women to no. be... Climbing, we don't want hardcore men being nurses with mass, great big muscles no. sticking needles no. in us I like don't. this. And that should be okay to say that. And why isn't it? Well, I think we should just say it. Yeah, and we just have. <laughs> so so uh, on that note then, is the gender pay gap real? No, there is no gender pay gap, but... That's because people don't take into consideration the big picture. What happens when a, a woman reaches a certain age? Women are the only ones that can have babies. So they have to leave the workplace in order to have a baby, which is a very good thing. In fact, it's the best thing in the world. It's the best vocation a person can have, becoming a mother. Like the most important job in the world. Right. We can't do that. Yeah. Uh, we should be naturally envious of that. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. However, once a woman has to leave the workplace, obviously there's going to be a, a, a difference there between men and women, which is fine. But men and women in the same job gets paid the same amount of money. So there is no gender pay gap. But people, don't, people are obsessed that that is not the case. That in the same job, doing the same work, the woman always gets paid less. It's a wickedness because women shouldn't have to go to work. And at first it started out as a choice. Of course, yeah, of course, women, if they want to work, they can work. Great. But then it became a necessity. Nowadays, for most people... Because of fiat currency, you need two incomes to... And, and this, of course, Look, is by design because yeah. they're getting two taxes. So yes. they're getting yeah. double the, the money. And oh, I never even thought of that. I, yeah. thought, I, I, now, I know that you need two household incomes now, most people, to afford a house, yeah. but double tax. My grandparents and, and all generations previous to that could survive on just the man yes. going to work to provide for the wife and the children. Now, so the, this is affecting how we're raising our children. Yeah, now. now the wife and the children quite often have to work. Yeah. This is not good for and society. And the children aren't getting parented properly because... Mum's not there half no, the time. No. Someone asked me if I was a feminist yesterday. I don't even know what a feminist is. What is a feminist? How can I be one? I'm a male. The problem with this situation is that they always start, these civil rights movements start out with good intentions. Right. Whether, whether it's sex, race, doesn't matter yeah. what it is. And the feminist movement is the same. It started out saying women need to be treated better, they need better conditions. Great. Yeah. Well, I think we could all agree with that. But there was no success criteria. They never said, when we've reached this goal, we have reached equality. So what's happened is they've reached equality and they've gone and they've gone and they've gone and they've gone and they've become 
the feminist movement has come to a point where now it's just about hating men. And it's about, in order for, you know, you can say that women are better than men. That's a, that's a good statement to say. You can't say that men are better than women. That would be a bad statement to say. I think both statements are bad. But the feminist movement. Will but both say, statements are accurate depending on context. Well, well men are better women. at things. Yeah, right. men are better at some things and women are better yeah. at other things. Yeah. But the, the feminist movement has become so anti-male. Lost, lost the context. And again, it's made women have to become like men and live lives, live masculine lives. That's not helpful for women. Nah. And we, now we have a point where if a woman chooses to be a mother and to stay at home and to be a housewife, all very good things. They are looks down upon that's that's seen as a negative whereas if a woman wants to have a successful career not have any children become barren and therefore not reproduce and the human society dies out that's seen as a good thing it's bizarre it's chaos is what it is yeah. it's disorderly mm. would you rather have one million pounds cash or one million extra engaged social media followers and oh, a million pound cash social media followers mean nothing but what if there are a million people that you can evangelize and change their mind about God? I think I could probably do a lot more with a million pounds cash. I could, ah. I could probably open at least five churches in London or something, right? right. I could, yeah. Um, yes, I could put a million pounds to good use far easier than putting a million followers to good use. And actually, well, I mean, they both have temptations, they both have traps, but I think social media has a lot of traps for people in that they, they, they tend to want to get to that next level of, and they think something dramatic is gonna happen. I've learned that from Twitter, after about 10k followers, you kind of lose track of who you're engaged with. After 100k followers, the engagement count doesn't really change. I'm almost at 300k. The engagement was the same as when I was at 100k. And I've got friends who are on over a million followers that get less engagement than I do. Mm. So it's, it, the numbers game is very dangerous to get into. Yeah. I used to manipulate it, isn't it, it is. with the algorithms? But I used to wipe my Twitter. I used to wipe all my tweets every six months and then I set it to automatically wipe because I, I, even the big viral ones because I didn't want to get stuck in that obsessive, compulsive, I need more, I need more, I need more because it's dangerous. Mm. So you think that it's about doing good work and you think that good work will always be rewarded? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm. Well, it's what you said it <laughs> earlier because I'm in that game whereby I want to do good work and have good conversations mm. and challenge people's minds. Um, but I also know we're in, nothing exists in a vacuum, everything dies in a vacuum and yeah. you need an audience. But I think if you're doing good work, the audience will come. And maybe that's going back to faith. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people come to me and say, how do I get to where you are? And they want a shortcut, whether that's writing for the Telegraph or being on television or whatever it is, they want to get straight to where I am now without putting all the years of hard right. work in that I've put in that they don't see behind the scenes. Yeah. And I always ask them, why? And it's usually because I want to be on TV, I want to be a commentator, I want to write for a good, uh, prestigious, prestigious newspaper. I'm like, I don't really want to help you. Because it's, it's always the ends rather than the means. Right. If they say, I want to change society, I want to promote the good news, I want to, you know, if they have a good intention, then I'll help them. Mm. And I'll, I'll say, well, you know, all you need to do is work, you need to write, you need to talk, you need to get on with it. And yeah. you need to, and people have to have a cause, they find an audience because other people care about the same thing that they do. Mm. But people that don't have a cause that just want to become famous or just want to do something, that's, that's a dead end. Yeah. It's soulless. Mm. What's your biggest regret? I don't have any regrets. Nothing you've done you regret? No. I, I've repented of my sins and I've been absolved of them. And I try to look forward, not backwards. So what's your biggest mistake? Um... Oh, it's one of those interview questions, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I mean, you think that's a bad question, do you? 
No, it's just that all the mistakes I've made, I've learned from. I think we can't get through life without failure. We need failure in order to achieve success, right? So As an entrepreneur, I'm sure yeah. you appreciate that. And, and whilst the regret and the mistake question generally elicit that answer, yeah. if we're a bit more open and honest about what those mistakes are, or we give some examples, it yeah. gives something people more meaty to... Right. You know, let's say, for example, I um, didn't put my crypto money into cold storage. Right and I got hacked and lost 100 grand. Yeah. I might not regret it because I learned, right. but it's a mistake probably that's a well, good example to learn from. Well, when I was first mining Bitcoin back in the day, uh, I've mined Bitcoin and Monero at some point, um, I didn't take it seriously. Bitcoin wasn't even a thing. I, I don't even know where the hard drive went, but I wasn't supposed to have whatever was on the hard drive. So, it, it, I mean, it's a mistake, but it doesn't really mean anything to me. I think uh, so the way you see mistakes is, well, that, that wasn't meant to be that right. way, and you have faith that the way it was was meant to be, therefore, yeah. you could perceive it not as a mistake. Right. Well, the, yeah. the things I've learned mo- most from are, you know, when I first became a leader, when I was a school leader, I don't think my, le- my leadership style was the best. And how was it? Because I was like, well, this is what we're doing, because it's a good thing, so let's do it. So it's and a bit I, autocratic. Yeah, and I've yeah. learned, actually, you have to bring people along with you, mm. and, and you have to get them invested in the idea as well. And I learned a lot through that process, but I had to make that mistake in order to get to where I yeah. am. So I wouldn't even change that. No, but this is, these are good discussions to have because these are tangible things that people can learn from. Yeah. As opposed to, I have no regrets and there are no mistakes. Sure. Which but I also understand is a good answer. I'm not even convinced people are good at learning from other people's mistakes, though. I think quite um, often we have to make our own mistakes. Well, whilst I agree, surely it's smart to learn from other people's mistakes because yeah, you make less it, yourself. It is smart to do it. Yeah. I'm just not sure we're very good at it as people. No. No, we aren't, are we, Harry? <laughs> Harry recently fought in a boxing match and ignored the advice of everybody. Uh, <laughs> how are you? Um, he's good. He's good. We raised two hundred and fifty thousand for charity. Amazing. Yeah. Good man. And we put we got eighteen hundred people in a room. And yeah, you still got your nose. You look good. Yeah, so I like, he's, yeah he, did, he did a good job. So, um, what's your most brutal life lesson? This is the penultimate question. That nothing is permanent. Again, when I was a school leader, I put so much effort in. I, didn't, I, I, I worked throughout the holidays. I, I was always the last out of the building, first day in the morning. I changed so many policies for, for what I thought for good. And the moment I left, it all, all got undone, castle. just like that. Yeah. I was like, all of that effort for nothing. Of course, it wasn't for nothing, no. because the kids who were in the school at the time would have benefited from it. Mm. But it's just the idea that nothing we do is permanent. And we've got to take ourselves out of that situation, mm. take our ego and our pride yeah. out of that situation. And, and gain some humility from it. Mm. As well as being a brutal life lesson, that's a great life lesson because when we're going through pain and suffering, it's the same, surely the same thing. Yeah. Not everything is permanent. Yeah. Mm. So this show is called Disruptors. Um, what does that word mean to you and has it lived up to its name? What does it mean to me? I think things can get quite stale and stagnant and, and we can become accustomed to certain things that might not be good. So it's good to shake things up and disrupt the norm and get people thinking. I think I hope we've done that. Mm. I feel like we have. Good. It's been um, not a conversation I've had. Um, so thank you. No, not at all. It's been a Thanks pleasure. Thanks for coming on. God bless okay. you. Thank you. It's a wrap. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you. I like how you just, you just started. We didn't really start. It just happened. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and they often are the best like that. Sometimes it's like, I'll go in with, so for example, what we do now, is we're going with a sharp, hard first question. Yeah. Because it's for retention, yeah. to capture attention. Um, and so my question for that was, 
why did the Bible say the love of money was the root of all evil? So that was the official start. Right. But I felt that we were in good conversation. I didn't want to then say, oh, wait a minute, my yeah. check. I felt like <laughs> yeah, no, we were there. Yeah. And you know what you're doing. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I or, did, right? Yeah. I'm just going to book an Uber before. I yeah, sure. Um, Get in trouble. Yeah. What's been on your radar this week? Um, so we, we were on the road yesterday, did three podcasts. Um, we may be flying out to San Francisco to interview Will I Am. Oh, nice! That'd be amazing. Um, we've got John Fury on Monday. I imagine Will I Am would just be all over the place. Like this. yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, 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 people like that really fascinate me. Yeah. And um, yeah, John Fury's a man of faith, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, and obviously he's huge after the um, Tyson Fury. Oh yeah. And fight like Tyson goes to my friend's church actually. Right. Yeah, they're, they're very of faith, aren't yeah. they? That that family. Um, so that's, yeah, that's this week. Good. Yeah, so we're trying to do good, our thing. You're doing some big interviews. That's quite good. We're trying to do our thing. Yeah. yeah. How, many, how many followers do you have? Or subscribers, sorry. Um, in the millions. Okay. I think because I've got some on email, some on Twitter, some on Facebook, some yeah. on YouTube. Probably two to two and a half million, maybe. Right. Across the... And YouTube is your main platform? No, I'd probably say the audio. Okay. Yeah. What's that, Spotify? Um, Spotify, um, iTunes. Right most of them. Okay. We have a pod follow link and then what it does is it takes you to the one you use because yeah. there's so many different networks now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah YouTube is, um, I think that's quarter of a million. Oh, um, the thing with YouTube is some videos get 5,000 views and some videos get three and a half yeah. million views and it's yeah. so fickle. Do you not worry about demonetization all the time? Yeah, we had it. We had it oh, when yeah. we interviewed yeah. uh, David Icke and Andrew Tate. Of course, Icke is going to do it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a while ago. Um, and, and that. And for me, I think it's really important to stay objective and learn from people. Yeah. I think you can really get in an echo chem chamber. Yeah, and I think that that's, you must challenge your mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the end, if you get a few people that might be deemed conspiracy or far right or whatever, the other side don't want to know, no. and then YouTube go come down hard on you. Yeah. And what I, what I absolutely will not do is dilute my message or my mission or my values. Mm. All right, you mentioned the word COVID scam. Mm. I would have gone there two years ago. I've taken my medicine and learned because, alas, I do want YouTube. I yeah. need them. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we can't have a good conversation. It just means I have to be a little bit oh, yeah. more careful. And how does Rumble work for you? Is that um, we've not really figured it out yet? Um, and to be honest, we should because tomorrow YouTube could just decide. Uh, Bye. Uh, this is the problem. Everyone loves Rumble, but Rumble's just shit. Yeah, it just doesn't well, this have attraction. No, well, well, I mean, their big selling point is it has no algorithm, yeah. and unfortunately, that's also its big problem. Yeah. Because good work should get out to yeah. more people. Yeah, it's um, it's a fascinating game. I mean, this is for just a hobby, really, because you know my main business is in other things. Right. But we'll keep going. Good man. Yeah. Well, it's been great and to thank meet you. Both. You too.